And hello, everybody. Happy Friday. Wow. It's like, it feels about 94 degrees out here in New York City, but yeah, it's really only about 72. But after the winter that we had, good Lord, it felt good. I just walked shirtless through my neighborhood and the police should be here shortly because I look like I'm in my second trimester. Who is this person speaking? You're probably wondering. This is Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, also a media and politics columnist for The Hill. I've got to shorten up that title for a little bit. Filled in for Sean before, appear on the show as a regular guest. Yeah, 94.7% of you know me. For those of you who don't, nice to meet you. I think you're going to have a good time today because there is so much to talk about, as there is every day. You know, people said when Trump left the stage that the news cycle would be boring. I don't know. I mean, it, nothing will be the Trump era, which was 2015 to early 2021. But I'm telling you, every day it is something with this administration that gets a happy guy like me quite pissed. I got to be honest with you. First, I want to hand out this little phone number for you so you could call in and we'll make it open line Friday. All right. I'll steal that from the late great Rush Limbaugh. 800 941 7 326-800-941-SEAN, spelled the right way, S-E-A-N, if you want to be a part of the program. So what am I talking about as far as lots to talk about? Well, since I cover media, I previewed the press conference yesterday, if you want to call it that, with President Biden only calling on 10 reporters. The, the room is spaced out completely where there was only a finite number of reporters that were allowed in the room. And the President of the United States the leader of the free world had to have a list with photos, mind you, of the reporters that he is only allowed to call on per somebody behind the scenes. Who knows who that is? Ron Klain, the chief of staff, Susan Rice is in charge of foreign policy. She's in charge of foreign policy. I, have you ever thought about that for a second? Hey, you never see her. So usually it's the quietest ones are, are the most powerful, but I'd rather have Jerry Rice, Susan Rice, Ray Rice. Give me another rice except this Susan Rice running things from a foreign policy perspective. So the president of the United States, yeah, he can only call on certain reporters. He's told which reporters to call on in order with photos, which I found very cute. And there's actually photos of it, uh, of those cue cards, which is adorable. But also whole notes all together. Look, I get it when you bring a card or two up to a podium and you just need theme bullet points, a, a couple of things here and there that you jot down that, oh yeah, I probably should get to that type of thing. He had a whole book. The thing looked like war and peace. And he had to flip through it like Saki, the White House press secretary, circle back Saki, trying to find, okay, there's that question. Let me see if I can find an answer to that. And then he was reading from it at times verbatim. Again, this isn't some 78-year-old who worked at the Food King for too long, all right? This is somebody who's one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful person on earth, and he can't answer certain questions without reading what was written for him. Does anybody find this disturbing? You should. Love Trump, hate Trump. He stood up there. He didn't have any list of reporters to call on. And he wasn't afraid to call on certain reporters. He'd call on CNN. He'd call on NBC. He'd call on the New York Times. And yesterday, here you have <laughs> the president's handlers. They're petrified of a 30-something-year-old rookie White House correspondent named Peter Ducey, who may or may not have grown up in the town that I'm currently broadcasting from. All right? Jersey. Now, I want to play this for you because it really is incredible. You have... Jen Psaki confronted on this today, and that was kind of cool because here's the thing. Fox is part of this pool, all right, of five major networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, and Fox, right? And during every formal event that brought Biden holds, and there are not many of them, those other outlets get called on every time, the reporters from those outlets, every time. We're going all the way back to the campaign, all right? 
Peter Ducey has never been called on once from that list because they're petrified that they might get a tough question from Fox. Oh my goodness. Like a question like, boy, what would I ask if I was there? Hmm. Let me think about this. Oh, right. Uh, Mr. President, you put your vice president, Kamala Harris, in charge of fixing the situation at the border. She has compared ICE to the KKK. It's on video and stuff. All right. Not making this up. Also said that we should decriminalize illegal border crossings. So why do you think that this person who literally laughed when she was asked by a reporter if she was going to visit the border anytime soon earlier this week, why do you think this is the person that's going to solve this? Forget crisis. It's a disaster. Because at last check, when FEMA's on the scene, it's a disaster. And FEMA's down at the U.S. southern border. We're literally paying $86 million to house immigrants in hotels. Boy, and when word gets out about that, if I'm in Guatemala, I'm making that walk. I don't care. All right. You give me a, a, a couple of bottles of, uh, you know, of Poland Spring and, and sandwiches. I'll get there one way or another. If I know on the other end, there's a nice hotel waiting for me. And hotels usually give you free breakfast, right? Free cable, all that stuff. Isn't that nice? Something like $70,000 per migrant. That's what it's going to cost to put these folks up in hotel rooms. So once word gets out that that's what you get when you get here, you think this surge is going to slow down anytime soon? And it's not just any surge, by the way. When you compare it to 2019, can't count the pandemic here, 2019, last comparable time that Biden had the audacity to say, ah, oh, this is the same as that. Border crossings are up, oh, I don't know, 174% from that time, including migrant children. And oh, yeah, then we're putting them in these facilities, by the way, where they're almost at 700% capacity, even more during a pandemic. At last check, I heard that putting too many people in one little building is probably a bad idea. They're called American schools. They can't reopen full time, but we'll stack those other ones to the tilt to the point where you have people taking turns sleeping on the floor. It's insane. So anyway, to get back to my point about Steve, excuse me, Peter Ducey, there's a lot of Ducey's about Peter Ducey. So he asked Circle Baksaki today during the press conference, hey, why don't you ever call on Fox during these particular events? And the answer here is, what's the word I'm looking for? Ah, condescending. Cut 11. Please go. Anytime that the president has an event where he is given a list of reporters to call on Fox is the only member of the five network TV pool that has never been on the list in front of the president. And I'm just curious if that is an official administration policy. We're here having a conversation, aren't we? Yes. But and do I take questions from you every time you come to the briefing room? Yes, but I'm Has the president taken president. questions from you since you came in, since you he came into office? Well, yes or no? Only when I have shouted after he goes through his whole list. And the president has been very generous with his time with Fox. I'm just curious about this list that he has given. So the only member of the Five Network pool, never on it, dating back to when he resumed in-person events in Wilmington during the end of the campaign. Well, I would say that I'm always happy to have this conversation with you, even about your awesome socks you're having on today, you wearing today, and oh. have a conversation with you, even when we disagree. The president's taking your questions, and I'm looking forward to doing Fox News Sunday this Sunday for the third time. In other words, hey, I'm talking to you now, aren't I? Uh, yeah, Jen, but I'm wondering why this list where there's photos of it again and stuff, uh, why Fox isn't on that list of, in yesterday's case, 10 reporters that you call on. It's not like you say, well, Fox is this low-rated network that you know no one really watches, so you're not really a big player. Fox is number one in cable, all right, despite what you may have heard. 
Fox is uh, dominating once again. Uh, it did in February. It will again in March. I've seen audience numbers where you have like a Tucker Carlson, for instance, almost tripling his competition at eight o'clock. Sean blowing away his competition uh, from CNN. And, and, and it's 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 look, the bottom line is that even if Fox was in second place or third place, uh, you still call on everybody in that room because, again, it wasn't like there was that many reporters. Right. But instead, that's the answer that we get that, well, you know, you're not on that list, but hey, you're talking to me. And those are some awesome socks that you have there. Oh, God. Uh, Jen Psaki is not exactly what one would call a charmer in these situations, but that's what's going on with Peter Ducey. But what we heard yesterday during this particular press briefing went on for a little over an hour. And <laughs> you know what the funny thing is, when I analyzed all the Trump press conferences and his first one, he was interrupted 16 times. Trust me, that's the low number compared to other ones as we went forward uh, during his tenure. 16 times Trump in his first press conference. Now, how many times Joe Biden was interrupted yesterday? Let's see, four. I'm not very good at math, but I'm pretty sure that's four times less than Mr. Trump was. You say, well, you know, he wasn't making any lies and he wasn't making any statements that needed to be fact-checked. <laughs> you want to bet? Ah, he said at one point that he was turning most families away. Most families away, migrants that were coming over. Axios does a report that says that, no, you're only turning away 13% of families. Then Biden has the audacity to say that President Trump literally turned away little boys at the border and then they starved to death. He said that. He accused his predecessor of starving children to death. And all the reporters in that room, not one of them, who were so tough, weren't they, just last year, two years, three years, four years ago, right? Who were looking for that viral moment who would stand up to the president. Silence of the Lambs, my friend. I guess it's the sequel. Was there a sequel though? Wasn't that Hannibal? I don't know, forget it. But you get the point. Didn't say a word. The guy wasn't challenged in any way, shape, or form. So let's play some of those cuts, shall we? Uh, this will be cut three. You know, it's called softball questions on my little cut sheet here. No, these are grapefruits. You know why they're grapefruits? They're just as big as softballs and they're softer. Cut three, go. How far are you willing to go to achieve those promises that you made to the American people? The perception of you that got you elected as a moral, decent man is <laughs> the reason why a lot of immigrants are coming to this country and entrusting you with unaccompanied minors. Republican legislatures across the country are working to pass bills that would restrict voting, particularly Democrats' fear impacting minority voters and young voters, the very people who helped to get you elected in November. At John Lewis's funeral, President Barack Obama said he believed the filibuster was a relic of the Jim Crow era. Do you agree? <laughs> I mean, you think they want the filibuster abolished? Those weren't questions like, so will you abolish the filibuster? And didn't you say in 2005 in a speech on the Senate floor that you called the most important speech you gave as a senator passionately defending the filibuster, saying this cannot go? Because basically there goes compromise, right? And it, if, if there's one party rule, then there'll be no, the, the, the whole point of Congress in terms of compromising goes away, was basically your argument. And now it's a relic of the Jim Crow era. And it's funny that that, that question that, that's asked, I would have asked that instead, well, if you want to bring up the Jim Crow era and, and Obama, that's fine. But then you got to read back Biden's exact words in defending said filibuster and say, okay, so which one is it, Mr. President, the one that you passionately defended or what you're saying now? Pick. Not too hard, I don't think. Anyway, it's just something that unfortunately I thought 
and maybe I'm just a little naive, I thought there'd be maybe a couple of questions that would be challenging as far as Mr. Biden is concerned, and particularly at the border, particularly when it comes to COVID. Oh, by the way, during this whole press conference, and this tells you the disconnect between our media, which is primarily based in Washington and New York. Think about Washington. That's where Trump got 4% of the vote and New York, where I believe he got something like eight or 9% of the vote. I'm talking city, not state. Uh, This is the hive mentality that we see on a daily basis where you forget to ask one question about COVID. It's been the biggest issue in this country by a country mile for more than a year. And we don't bring that up. And by not bringing it up, I mean reopening schools. Once again, Mr. President, you said you trust the science and the data. And yet here we are, we're not reopened and you're not standing up to the teachers union. Why is that? Oh, by the way, that $1.9 trillion COVID relief package that you said needed to be passed in order to reopen bill uh, schools. Well, guess what? Most of it, like 98% of it, won't be spent till next year, which makes a hell of a lot of sense considering the pandemic will almost likely, certainly, it better be over in 2022. Oh, by the way, Mr. President, you told CNN last month that your administration didn't have a vaccine when you entered office, yet you received two doses in December and January. Your vice president said the administration had to start from scratch on vaccine distribution, yet nearly 1 million doses already were being administered on Inauguration Day. Were you misleading the American public? And why don't you give your predecessor the credit he and his administration deserve on Operation Warp Speed? I think that could have been a good question, don't you think? Hey, Mr. President, you're in on being the unity candidate to be, in your words, quote, a president to all Americans. You said you'd fight as hard for those who didn't vote for you than for those who did. And people actually bought it. That's the amazing thing. Yet your COVID relief package, 91% of it doesn't go towards COVID relief. You've signed dozens of executive orders. You said as a candidate you that if you sign executive orders as president without going through the Congress, that represented, quote, the actions of a dictator by bypassing Congress. Do your actions as president match your words as a candidate? You think somebody could have asked that? No, no. So on and on and on, guys. You want one more? Yeah? Okay, I can see you nodding out there. Mr. President, you said your administration would be all honest, open, transparent with the press. Yeah, you waited nine freaking weeks to hold a formal press conference. You almost never take questions after live events. You imposed a media blockout on overcrowded migrant facilities at the border. Do you believe these actions back up your promises of transparency and openness? Could somebody have asked that? Why am I doing this from a basement in Jersey? It should have been those folks in Washington in that room. They didn't. More Sean Hannity show coming up. We got Kelly McEnany joining the show. Lisa Booth. It's a Fox party. Happy hour. Friday afternoon. 75 degrees, New York City. I'm back in a good mood once again. Please do stick around. Exposing the Pelosi Party's chaos and corruption all day, every day. This this is the Sean Hannity Show. Joe Concha in for Mr. Sean Hannity, a much-deserved three-day vacation, I hope. I haven't taken a vacation since August. I just thought about that now, like not really one day off because when you're on cable news, which at last check is basically 24-7, there ain't no days off. So I'm counting the days down to June 26th, where I will be on a beach earning 20%. Okay, maybe not the 20% part, but at least Long Beach Island, New Jersey. I got it circled on a calendar, a very big one on my wall. So not too far away now. Exactly. One, two, three months. And hopefully the world will be normal again. I have a feeling that it will be. Uh, Speaking of normal, 
this is normal. Dr. Robert Redfield, you remember him. He's the former CDC director. He's now joining those who believe COVID escaped from a laboratory in Wuhan. To quote the great John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, welcome to the party, pal. I'm pretty sure that that's what people have been thinking for a while. Now, did it escape from the lab or was it kind of like, you know, what I do with my dog sometime? You know, what? just go out. All right. I'm leaving the door open. Go have fun. Go see some other dogs up the block. I don't care. Right. So what 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 happened there exactly? I, I don't know if we'll ever know. And, you know, that's a that's a shame. I, I, I'm, I'm completely downplaying that by saying it's a shame. That's horrible. I mean, we're talking over 500,000 dead and everybody's lives basically altered forever. I mean, was this the worst thing that you ever went through? Seriously, I was trying to explain this to my kid yesterday. He's five years old. He goes, has the buggy gone away yet? He calls it the buggy, right? We don't call it coronavirus or COVID, right? It's, it's the buggy. I said, well, we think it's starting to. And everybody's getting the vaccine more and more. And, you know, not everybody, but enough people. And we, we, we should be fine. And, you know, I just said, just so you know, this will probably be the hardest thing you ever go through in your life. He goes, well, won't there be another one in 100 years? He's five years old. He asks very good questions. And so I guess when you're 105, that, that may happen again. They probably have some sort of better, better medical advances by then to kind of make sure these things don't happen. But, yeah, I mean, I can't think of anything. I mean, my, my in-laws, you know, they were in Scotland when, you know, the Germans were bombing during World War II, England, and that had to be worse because at least here we had, you know, cable TV and food and you know, we were comfortable. That had to be horrible. But th this this sucked. And I, and I hope that we're almost, you know, in the clear at this point. I, I would think by the summer we got to be right. I mean, I've heard some people say we'll be herd immunity by the end of April. A guy from Johns Hopkins, who's who's pretty well respected, you know, maybe May. So hang in there, folks. Uh, meanwhile, little. I love numbers. I should share that, by the way. I'm also a media and politics columnist for The Hill. So I always like to cite things. If you see me on TV, I just don't give an opinion and just kind of bloviate, for lack of a better term. I, I try to back up the opinion with some sort of facts and foundation. This way, it's coming from somewhere and not just, you know, hair standing on the back of my neck, my feelings, like a Dear Diarrhea entry type of thing that so many folks in TV, unfortunately, uh, like to share. But listen to this. After President Biden denounced the rampant abuse of the filibuster last year, well, did some digging. Republicans used it once. Democrats used it, drumroll, 327 times. Oh, okay. Yeah, it gets abused by one party. If this thing goes away, I mean, elections have consequences. I, I think Democrats will rue the day, rue the day, if they go ahead and actually do this. Because they're losing the House in 2022. Got news for you. They only got to flip. The Republicans do, what, five seats? Let's put it this way. Uh, 2010, Obama, first term, he lost 63 seats in the House. Trump, 2018, lost 43 seats in the House. The Republicans, all right, as sometimes inept as they may be, only need to get five. And it's bye-bye Nancy Pelosi. She probably retires, I would think. You're 80 and you're in the minority. Time to go. All right, get your hair done every day. It doesn't matter. You're, you're good. You're good. And then I guess we have... Uh, I don't know, McCarthy, right? He, he would be the uh, the House leader. And maybe they take back the Senate as well. And then in 2024, who runs? I love talking about this. I got to think it's either Trump or DeSantis gets the uh, nomination. I don't mean they run against each other. If Trump runs, he gets the nomination. But I'm saying if Trump does not run and decides to be the kingmaker, right, does all the rallies, does all the fun things that go along with being a politician and a popular one at that, I, I can't see too many other people besides DeSantis as being you out there as a Trump supporter saying, all right, I'll take that guy if Trump isn't going to run because it can't be establishment. 
right? It can't be Lindsey Graham and it can't be Marco Rubio or Romney or Chris Christie or pick your establishment person here. But DeSantis, he's a lot like Trump. And since he's not a congressman or a senator and he runs his own state like a president does, right? And very effectively, by the way, I think he's opening up all vaccines now to everyone. He's ahead of almost everybody in the game right now. And he's been open in terms of his business since pretty much early May last year. Remember, he opened the beaches and then CNN sending crews down there. And that guy dresses up as the Grim Reaper saying that basically DeSantis, Death Santis, they called him, was sending people out onto the beach for them to die. How'd that work out? Well, in New York, they've had nearly 20,000 more deaths than Florida, despite being almost completely shut down. Think about that. In Florida, guess what? They have a larger population than New York. They have an older population than New York, vulnerable people. They got four major cities. I define a major city by, do they have a major sports team? Miami, Orlando, they got the magic. Tampa, which is like, you know, Championshipville at this point. It's, it's, it's getting annoying. And then Jacksonville, right? Who kind of has a pro team in the Jaguars. So four major cities there. New York, what do they have? Two major cities? And yet here, DeSantis, way ahead of the game as far as the way he has run his state, and he does it unapologetically. And I think that... Any politician moving forward, particularly on the Republican side, you've got to be unapologetic. Don't kowtow to the media. Don't do poll-tested things. Go with your gut. Go with your principles. Stick with them, and you're going to go places. And I think DeSantis is that guy. And if he brings along like a Christy Gnome, that's pretty formidable, all right? All I'm saying. Anyway, let's take some calls, shall we? Because I did say it was going to be open line Friday in honor of the late, great Rush Limbaugh. Let's see. I'm going to spin the wheel here, and we're going to go with don't mess with Texas. Michelle. Welcome to the Sean Hannity Hi, Show. Joe. Joe Concha, how are you? How's it going? Hi, how are you doing, Joe? What is up with Joe Biden? She's mm-hmm. an educated woman. Surely she recognizes that Joe is having cognitive issues. Why would she subject him to running for the presidency and being president? And she is Dr. Jill Biden. So she would probably be qualified in this regard to determine whether her husband has cognitive issues or not. I got to tell you, Michelle, I mean, is it cognitive? Is it dementia? I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to analyze him from, you know, 3,000, 1,000 miles away, wherever I am from him now. Uh, My wife is a real doctor, actually, by the way. Uh, So she'd probably be a little bit more qualified than me. But uh, in the end, you see this press conference, right? And I'm I'm only going to ask the questions here. I'm not going to come to any definitive conclusion because I just don't know. But here's the thing. You're the leader of the free world and you need answers written out for you on note cards. What is up with that? It's not like he's a rookie politician that's, you know, uh, a little, little, little green at this point. He's been doing this for five decades. He was vice president of the United States for eight years. And on foreign policy, particularly, he's reading from note cards. He doesn't even know the names of reporters in the room, or at least he's told which ones to call on. What are you afraid of exactly? So. Yeah. Is it cognitive? I mean, I think he's 78 years old. He's something like six days older than my my actual father in real life. And my dad's sharp, believe me. But he has friends that they lose their fastball and that's fine. But the problem is that he's running the country. I wouldn't mind if you had a Joe Biden doing this and he was like mayor of, I don't know, Wilmington, then then I could I could live with that. But the fact that he's he's mayor of the entire country and that's a problem. Anyway, where are you at in, uh, in uh, Texas, by the way, Michelle? College Station, Texas. It's where Texas A&M University is. That's right. That's right. The the Aggies, the 12th man, of course. And uh, yes. had a nice little quarterback there named Mon that played there last year. Had a great season. Well, anyway, I, I'm going to turn this into a sports show. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle, for the call. Have a great weekend. I love Texas. I've been there once for like five minutes. I was going to Cancun for spring break. 
and we connected through Houston. I'm like, cool, I'm in Texas now. But, you know, I was on another plane in about five minutes. And that always kind of, I've always regretted that. Like, that's a state that I got to get to, like go to a Cowboys game or something, right? Or they got those great beaches right along the Gulf. So I should, probably should check that out. San Padre Island, some of my friends went for uh, for Cancun or for uh, spring break. I'll share the story real quick before we go to our next call. So uh, I, well, I didn't think I was going to go on my... Um, spring break in, in the nineties. I'll, I'll put it that way, not to age myself too much. And then mm, just decided, you know, what the hell screw it. Got this nice little credit card here that I just opened up. I'll pay for it later. It's fine. So I decide last second to go. My friends get on a flight out of Washington. Uh, so I went to Maryland, right? So they get on a flight out of Washington. I can't get any seats until the next flight. Problem is this huge blizzard. One of the biggest blizzards of the century is hitting. Their flight is the last one out. Mine doesn't get out. So I'm stuck in my friggin' house, okay, with no electricity. And, you know, I'm in college, so it's not like I got a bunch of steaks in the freezer or anything that I could, you know, take out and, and eat. I literally had Fruity Pebbles, Fruit Loops, Apple Jacks, and some bread that was kind of starting to look a little green at this point. So basically lived off cereal. There was a good 26 inches of snow out there. And I was about, I don't know, a mile from town where everything was shut down anyway because we had no electricity. So think about this. My stupid friends are down in Cancun, all right? And they ended up going to a hotel where they were on the same floor as the University of Texas cheerleading team. I can't make this up. And I'm stuck in College Park, Maryland. I know, thank you. That's exactly what I sounded like. That is the actual audio. So here's the best part. All right, cut, cut the baby thing. I gotta continue the story. So then I get down to Cancun finally. Two days later, mind you, I get there, and now there's no real cell phones at this point, and I'm in a foreign country anyway. I go to the hotel where we're supposed to be staying, and the guy's like, sorry, they got transferred to another hotel because we went through this like this trip organization on campus kind of thingy. So I got notif no, no notification of this because, you know, there was no email or no cell phones or anything like that. So now I can't find them. So now I have nowhere to stay. I ended up running into some friends from high school just randomly, just walking around. I was able to crash with them, and I had a great time. Great time. Don't get me wrong. But to get back, and hear from these guys that they hung out with the University of Texas, the Longhorns, the cheerleading team from there. I don't know. It's kind of lived with me to this day. And I'm kind of acting it all out now. I'm kind of like Hillary complaining about the election for four years after the fact, like a public therapy before. I've never really shared these feelings before, but now it's good to get them out. So thanks. It's a Friday. I'm going to talk about like softer stuff here once in a while. I hope you don't mind. Anyway, let's go to Marilyn from Long Island. Marilyn, do you have an accent? Go. I do, and I talk yes. fast like you do. <laughs> I do talk fast. i got to slow down. But I speak conscious. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I, I just ni nice to hear you on the, on the afternoon. What a nice surprise it was. I you know, had Thanks. Sean on. Um, but the thing that really, yesterday, I was so happy that Fox commentators went to you. They kind of brought you in after the panel. Mm -hmm. And you were like the only guy in the room that was getting it. And, I mean, I think John Roberts wanted to lose his religion, but he sort of didn't. And you really were spot on with, with, with your commentary on this, like, I don't know if we're living in another reality, but I sat here yelling at the TV yesterday like, I mean, like an old man, just yelling, like, what? Are you people kidding me? No one's seeing what's happening here. And, you know, I'm coming to the point where I'm going to be retiring soon, and I'm nervous. I'm nervous about my kids' future. I'm nervous about what's going to happen to me. And I don't know. You're the only guy that seems to get it. There aren't a lot of people willing to say, hey, you know, of course, Sean and, 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 and Levin, you know. But I don't know if our voices are strong enough. I don't know. 
Oh, well, I think they are. I think, look, Trump's still got 75 million <laughs> votes. Maryland, that's far and away the most of any Republican candidate in history. You know, unfortunately, you know, the, the other guy, I guess, got more. Uh, but still, I mean, the, the thing is, it's easy if you're Biden or Kamala Harris to complain. Basically, all they did was they didn't campaign much. They didn't take any tough questions and they complained about Trump. And, and that was enough to, to get them into the White House. But now they have to actually govern. And boy, that's tough, isn't it? So when Biden says, okay, I'm going to take away the Keystone Pipeline and executive order day one takes it away and doesn't even think about the fact that, all right, there are 11,000 jobs that you just eliminated during a pandemic. He gets a lot of flack for that. When he, in terms of the border, his rhetoric has now come back to haunt him. And you see, they have no solutions. He puts Kamala Harris in charge of the border, the girl who compared the KKK to ICE, the, the, the woman that said that crossing the border should be decriminalized. This is your solution. And then you're going to raise taxes while the economy is trying to recover. Can you name one single solitary instance where somebody's raised taxes during a, during a recession and that's actually helped? I mean, it makes no sense. So they're going to have to run on their record in 2024. And Biden said he's running for reelection, but I don't buy it. When he says, that's my expectation. What does that mean? Just say, yeah, of course. I ran. I'm going to run again. But he kept saying it's my expectation. So he's not running, I don't think. And so then it's Kamala Harris versus Trump or DeSantis, in my opinion. And either one wins. So don't don't lose hope. This is only a temporary problem. Uh, let not ye heart be troubled. Is that what Hannity says? I think so. I don't know. I got to start getting the, uh, the little sayings down. Anyway, 800-941. Thank you, Marilyn, for the call, by the way. I really appreciate it. You do not have an accent. 800-941-7326. Your phone number. Back with more. Kelly McEnany, Lisa Booth as well, later in the show. Please do stick around. This sounds like a show that would be on ABC in the early 80s on a Saturday night. Can we keep this going? This is uh, definitely, right? Maybe not a late 70s kind of thing. It's got kind of a love boat vibe to it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Captain Steubing is guest hosting. Steubing, that's right. And there was Isaac, the bartender. You know who had the best job in the world? Jason, the sound guy. If I don't mind bringing in here for a second. The dock on the love boat. You know why? Think about that job for a second. You're on a cruise basically every week. Who really gets really, really sick on a cruise? And all Doc did basically was proposition women. And he was incredibly successful despite oh, having these. He'd definitely get me too today. Oh, he'd be done. You can't be having relationships with the passengers, right? One cruise, he'd be out. They'd probably even throw him overboard at some point. Right. And, and, and but but he did well because like his competition was mainly a guy named Gopher. I mean, how's Gopher, how's he ever going to block in any kind of situation, right? And then Steubing was too old. If you he already get had the daughter by picked. somebody named Gopher, you have truly no game. You have no game, right, exactly. So that was an interesting Saturday night, wasn't it? You had uh, the Love Boat and then Fantasy Island. Same thing with Mr. Rourke. Women would come there and explain what their fantasies are, and then he would just work his way right in like, oh, you know who the fantasy is, by the way? Look at this guy in the white tuxedo. And again, who's going to be his competition? Tattoo? Come on. How did we get onto this topic, Jay? I have no idea. I swear to God, you're right. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Show. Do not adjust your dial. I beg of you. They'll never let me back. 800-941-7326. Back with more in just a moment. Joe Concha in for the aforementioned Sean Hannity. 800-941-7326. 800-941-SEAN, spelled S-E-A-N, if you want to be a part of the program. Boy. We got some great guests today, including the former White House press secretary and Georgetown Hoya, for that matter, Kaylee McEnany, but Lisa Booth, 
will be joining us first because you know what? Your leadoff hitter is usually your most important hitter, in my opinion. Sets the table for the entire day. Lisa Booth, the Fox News contributor. Lisa Booth, the host of The Truth with Lisa Booth on iHeartRadio and Gingrich 360. Tell you what, this girl, it's kind of like Michael Jordan it's just you, deciding you to go play baseball. Rhymes, the Truth with Booth. You know what? <laughs> you got me there. I, you're a poet and didn't know it. Good for you. But here's the thing, though, about you. So you just decide to jump into this podcasting thing, right? You, have you ever done one before? Lisa, do I have you? Lisa Booth. Oh, come on. All right. Boy, she sent me the, the Venmo and everything with all that money to say all those nice things about her. Now we, we can't get her on the phone. What are the odds of that? All right. Well, I'll tell the story without Lisa while we try to get her back on. So Lisa decides to launch this podcast. I'm, I asked a kind of a rhetorical question because I'm, I'm pretty sure she's she's never done one before. And trust me, this radio thing sounds like I'm having a good time and everything. I'm stressed, man. I mean, this is really hard. I mean, it sounds easy, but it's hard. I mean, think about um, Whoopi Goldberg. They gave her a radio show thinking, ah, she's funny and she'll do a great job. She lasted like five minutes. You know, never put comedians in, in radio jobs. It, it never goes well because they're, they, they know they're set, you know, they're set stage, they're, 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 they're set material. And then after that, they got nothing, right? So you got to be able to speak extemporaneously about a lot of things, be a Swiss army knife, so to speak. David Lee Roth for Howard Stern. Another example. Hey, he does those funny music videos. Uh-huh. And that's about it. Good voice. But you can't do three hours, four hours of radio. So Booth, she decides, all right, I'm going to do this podcast. And then who does she book as her first guest? Oh, I don't know. Donald Trump. Not exactly an easy get. You just don't pick up the phone and say, hey, you want to do this interview? Uh, maybe maybe more when he was president. I mean, I never saw somebody do more interviews in my life. But, uh, you know, now he's he's kind of picking and choosing his spots. So he gets she gets him on, right? And then on Apple, she shoots to the top of the Apple charts. First podcast in. Who does that? It's like hitting a home run in your first at bat in the major leagues. We got Booth back yet? Good. Yep. Hey, All Joe, right. can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I was just complimenting uh, the, the hell out of you with this whole podcast thing. You jump into this medium for like basically the first time. And then what do you do? You get the former president of the United States on, not an easy get. And then your interview with him jumps to the top of the Apple chart. So congrats on that. It's like hitting a home run in your Thank first you at bat friend. is what I was saying. Sure. And you know what happened? I had actually, my I have my, my phone and I, my face hit the mute button. So I, I'm pretty much <laughs> the worst millennial at 36 years old. <laughs> What did I tell you about Tito's before interviews? All right. Nothing hey, good. I wish. No, I wish that would have been a All lot right. more fun. There's yeah. Yeah. Just, just water and coffee today so far. I mean, it good is for Friday, you. So catch it is. Me later, That's true. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, uh, so you're the smart one that decided, you know what? I'm getting the hell out of New York. All right. The weather here sucks. It's expensive. It's not safe anymore. A lot of my friends have left. So you picked up and went where? I went to Florida. I mean, look, I, I, I love freedom, right? I'm a freedom-loving American, and I got sick and tired of New York and their draconian lockdown policies, particularly when it didn't make sense, when it actually was anti-science. Uh, and they shut us down, and you even had over the holidays with Thanksgiving, Governor Cuomo sending the National Guard to airports to essentially intimidate people to not want to come into the state or leave. So I said, you know what? I'm done with this place. So I packed up, and I moved to Florida, freedom you have Governor Ron DeSantis here, who's done it the right way all along. And Florida has 8% fewer COVID deaths per capita than the rest of the nation, despite Amazing. having one of the largest deadly populations. So you know what? I am free. I'm loving it. Uh, and I appreciate you plugging that interview with President Trump, because 
I mean, what a cool thing, right? So this is my first podcast. I just launched it, and I get an interview, you know, the biggest name out there, and it was so cool, and I found it so interesting just as a curious individual to be able to ask him about his time in the White House, some of the decision-making that he had regarding things like immigration. I got to ask him about the deep state, China, and a variety of things, and it was just one of the coolest moments of my career and so gracious and kind and an honor to be able to interview President Donald Trump, one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. So very, very cool. And everyone can find it on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts, iHeartGingrich360.com slash Lisa Booth, and it's The Truth with Lisa Booth. Sorry, I had to plug it. You know you know how that goes. Of course. <laughs> You're on an iHeart station, so that makes it all okay, all right? We're, we're, we're not unplugging the competition here. But what did you learn about the president that you didn't know before? What, what was, like, your biggest takeaway when you were done? Like, wow, I didn't realize he saw it that way. Or, huh, I think he's going to run again. Like, there, there had to be something when you walked away from that saying, hey, you got gold because everybody's listening to this interview. But what was that one takeaway? Well, I just thought it was cool to be able to kind of hear him go through some of the decision-making regarding immigration. And, you know, he kind of took me through the thought process because one thing I wanted to ask him was, look, you know, what, what would your advice be to Joe Biden on how to handle the border crisis? Because here you have, you know, when President Trump left the White House, I mean, he had the border largely under control. I mean, we're always going to have people, you know, trying to cross the southern border, get to the United States. We're always going to have people try to exploit our laws like they do with the asylum process. We're always going to have this. However, what he did were so many smart things, like remain in Mexico, because unfortunately what happens is we have people trying to take advantage of our asylum laws. And so they know what to say. The cartels tell them what to say. So you've got about, I think, 80% past that first initial interview, and they do this because they want to get into the United States. So then they can get lost as part of the rest of the illegal immigrants who are living in the United States. Trump did. He said, you know what? You have to remain in Mexico. And what that did was disincentivize people from wanting to make the trip, period, because they knew they couldn't exploit the law because they would have to be stuck in Mexico. They couldn't come to the United States and get lost here. And so he did things like that that were just so smart. So it was just really cool to be able to kind of ask him about that um, and have him, you know, sort of take me through the, some of the decision making uh, that took place. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, you know, and I've always been a fan of the presence. I, I think that. He was an outsider as a business guy, so he came in and he really looked at things differently, solved problems differently than a lot of presidents before him. And certainly the guy we've got now who's been in office for like a billion years, you know, all he knows is government and, you know, part of the broken system. So it was super cool. And, you know, and also just for people to like it and for it to, you know, be on the top of the Apple charts for a little bit there was just uh, was really neat. And we're talking to Lisa Booth, otherwise known as Lisa Marie Booth. Now, when does the Marie come into play? Is that when the parents are mad at you and they say, Lisa Marie? Or uh, yeah. when do you use the Marie? So basically, like high school, this was very frequent, you know, like Lisa Marie Booth, like how dare, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, or even when I was younger and then now as an adult, I don't really get in trouble anymore. And I'm really, you know, I'm super close to my parents. But it got a lot of use when I was younger and particularly the high school years mainly. Interesting. And when you're talking yeah. to Trump, Lisa Marie Booth, uh, as far as <laughs> 2024, no, 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 not at all. It was just okay. to get your attention. You put the Marie in there, so I didn't know. I was <laughs> so does he run again <laughs> in 2024? Like we're friends. 
No, we, exactly. And we are. We are definitely. Uh, so <laughs> does he run again 2024 like your, your gut? You know, is that something that he wants or would he rather just I was talking about this before, be the kingmaker of your now governor, Ron DeSantis, who is currently presiding? You weren't kidding. The unemployment rate in Florida is four point seven percent. That's one point five percent percentage points lower than the right. national rate. And I thought he was going to kill everybody off when he opened those beaches. Whoop. That's what the media told me anyway. So, uh, yeah. Is it a is it a Trump DeSantis ticket in 2024 or? Or what? You know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I would vote for him, obviously, again, if he ran for president. I just don't, I mean, do you want to go through that again? You know, I mean, like, this is someone, they were vicious to him. And the media lied about him for four years. He faced two impeachment trials. Both were bogus. The one with Ukraine, they're alleging a pro when the other guy, President Zelensky of Ukraine, didn't even know that anything was being leveraged. So clearly that can't happen, right? That, that, that can't take place. When someone doesn't know that something's being leveraged over them. Uh, So that was ridiculous. And then you look at he's blamed for something that happened when there had been planning prior to the speech that he was given. So how can a speech incite people to go and do something bad when they're planning on doing something bad before? Right. So a lot of the times these things don't make sense. You had a Russia investigation for something that was based off of a dossier and a document that the CIA said was an Internet rumor. So viciously (laughs) go after this guy and his family and his friends dragged his name through the mud. So I don't know. Do you want to go through that again? I, I don't know. And I think he can get vindication on the outside. He says he's building platforms. He said he might build a social media platform. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he builds other things as well. Now he's building, you know, huge political operation. And he's a kingmaker for the midterm elections. I mean, everyone's seeking his endorsement. They're going to Mar-a-Lago. So I, I don't know. Uh, but if he doesn't run, of course, Governor Ron DeSantis would be, you know, an awesome, you know, second, uh, you know, second look, right, to have him run. He's done a great job in the state of Florida. He's really given the middle finger to, you know, the media who's been lying about COVID, who propped up someone like Governor Cuomo when he was killing the elderly and lying about it to the Fed, and now is under investigation. Uh, and, you know, they were criticizing DeSantis when he's been right the whole time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would totally vote for him and, and, and support a Ron DeSantis presidency if Trump doesn't run. And we're talking to Lisa Booth. I'm sure you, as I did yesterday, Lisa, watched the current president and that press conference yesterday, only calling on 10 reporters, reporters that were in a nice little binder that he had that even had their pictures conveniently right next to him as well. And numbers on when he should actually call on those handpicked reporters. And Steve, I'm sorry, Peter Ducey, I keep doing that, uh, was one of the people that apparently uh, the, the Biden administration and the president's handlers are petrified of this, this rookie White House correspondent. We can't call on him in any way, shape or form. But in watching this, you know, I, I was on Fox yesterday and, and I called it a disgrace in terms of the questions, if you want to call them questions that were asked. It was more like one big advocacy for the filibuster and the way these questions, so to speak, were were being posed. But were you surprised by anything that you saw yesterday in terms of the way the press conducted itself and Biden, who I you know, would never think that. And I know I sound naive when I say this. I, I thought that maybe I'll have like a note card or two. I didn't think he'd have something that resembled war and peace in terms of a book with all those answers in it. I mean, I got to think that China and Iran and Russia watched that and said, oh, boy, this is the guy we're dealing with. OK, act accordingly. No, I wasn't surprised because it's all garbage and it's all a lie. And we don't really have a media anymore. They're all a bunch of liberal hacks and propagandists for the left. We saw that during the 2020 election. We saw that the way they lied about President Trump throughout his, you know, four years in office. So it wasn't a surprise that they would do what we all thought they were going to do, which is be hacky and be liberal hacks and basically give layups 
to Joe Biden. I mean, this is a guy who they propped up. It's like weekend at Bernie's. I mean, they propped this guy up during the 2020 election, protected him, uh, intentionally didn't allow the sharing of information in critical stories like Hunter Biden, who's under investigation, who was basically bought and paid for by China, which is another thing I asked President Trump when I interviewed him. Uh, and and they didn't they didn't they didn't let this information come to light. They knew about Governor Cuomo that he was lying about COVID deaths. Daily Caller reported it back in May, and the media ignored it during the election because they wanted to use him against Trump to say, "Hey, look look at Cuomo. He's doing a great job when he hasn't been, and he's been failing everyone." And then they helped him sell sell and like hawk his stupid book about leadership when he was failing and making yeah. money off of these poor people who are mourning the loss of their elderly and their loved ones. So it's all lies, all garbage. We live in a post-truth world, world essentially, where like we can't expect to get the truth from the media anymore, and it, it's really disappointing and actually pretty scary. And then also, when you consider the fact that the left controls all these institutions uh, in the country, so they basically control the, uh, you know, and then can come in and knock parlor off of platforms, can cancel people's book contracts with like Josh Hawley. So we're, we're, you know, it's some serious stuff right now in, you know, where we are in America. And none of it surprises me anymore. But, uh, you know, it sure as heck makes it more important for people to stand up for the truth and to fight this kind of stuff. And also mad props to Fox News' Peter Ducey because he is killing it. And he asks very good questions. Including today where he said, hey, why aren't we being called upon in these formal press briefings? And Jen Psaki sounded like the most defensive sorority girl that you, you could imagine. Just like, well, we speak every day, don't we? Well, isn't that good enough? And and, and Peter doesn't go the Acosta route, you know, where he ties, decides to grandstand. He goes, no, I'm just talking about the president and me being able to ask him questions. And she's like, well, we get to speak every day and you're wearing awesome socks. So don't worry about it. It was so patronizing. But anyway, Lisa, I can't believe this. I'm being told we're out of time. This stinks. Uh, plug the podcast plug, uh, again, please do. Yep. Let me hear you. Your the best truth, plug. Go. The truth with Lisa. Sorry, the truth with Lisa Booth. Apple Podcasts, iHeart, anywhere you get your podcast. Five stars. Please listen. It would mean the world. And I have Senator Rand Paul this week, and we get into COVID and draconian measures over the past few months and all the lies that have been told. It's really good. Lisa Booth, the smartest woman in the world, got out of New York, oh. single in Miami. She's living the life, baby. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, my friend. Thanks for having me, my friend. I appreciate it. And you're doing a great job. Right. Proud of you. Oh, thanks. See, compliments will get you everywhere. Uh, hey, more coming up, including Kaylee Mack and any big show. Please do stick around. Joe Concha in for Sean Hannity, the Sean Hannity Show. Jobs. Jobs. Joe Biden can't spell it, and he can't keep them for the American people. Check out the Sean Hannity Jobs Forum today. Now, Hannity's on Coast to Coast. 28% increase in children to the border in my administration. 31% in the last year of in 2019 before the pandemic in the Trump administration. It happens every single solitary year. There is a significant increase in the number of people coming to the border in the winter months of January, February, March. It happens every year. So we're building back up the capacity that should have been maintained and built upon that Trump dismantled. It's going to take time. Yesterday, President Biden made it seem like this is not too unusual compared to other previous years, that in terms of the number of people trying to cross the border, it's, it's about average. 
those don't seem to square. How does the administration view this in terms of whether this is precedented or whether this is an increase? Well, the president was making the point that we have seen increases uh, at the border in 2014 when he was the vice president, 2018 and 2019, and he conveyed that over the last six months of the uh, uh, Trump administration, there was an increase of about 31%. We've seen an increase of about 29% over the last several months since he took office. So the point is, we've dealt with this before. Uh, it is often seasonal. Uh, it is often cyclical. And he just wanted to convey that in his effort to, to communicate and be uh, provide educational information to the public. That's going to drive me crazy. That, that question was almost good during the press briefing with Jen Psaki today, the White House press secretary, except he just said, they, the numbers just don't quite seem to square. Well, why don't you, I don't know, do a little research. It's your one job, all right? Your one job as a reporter. You're going to the James S. Brady briefing room. You get to ask the White House press secretary a question. I would think take five minutes and have some numbers with you so you can push back. Not They don't quite square. Okay, I'll do it for you because it took me about eight seconds to actually look this information up. According to U.S. Customs and Border Protection, authorities at the border came into contact with 9,457 children without a parent in February alone, marking a 61% increase from January. Overall, border officials say the U.S. will take in more than 17,000 minors this month alone. It is unprecedented. The numbers aren't even close. Your White House press secretary is lying. Your president is lying. And those are the numbers to prove it per U.S. Customs and Border Protection. That's how you push back on a question or an answer like that from Saki. Instead, okay, sounds good to me. When's happy hour start? Unbelievable. Derek Maltz, come in here. Save me on this one. Uh, you obviously, you know, you're a former director of special ops, 28 years in federal law enforcement, national security, public safety executive. Uh, I mean, when you watch that press conference yesterday, if you want to call it a press conference, and you heard the President of the United States downplay this crisis that he won't call a crisis. I believe even at one point, the White House press secretary called it a circumstance, which no, a circumstance is when I woke up this morning, poured a bowl of Apple Jacks in my nice big bowl and realized I didn't have any milk. That's a circumstance. A crisis is when you send FEMA to the border and you have facilities at more than 700% capacity. So is this downplaying of this? Obviously it's political, but there's it's only so long until the pictures are going to get out to the country, to the world, and the president might actually have to act on this. And his vice president who's in charge of this at this point. Go ahead. I've rambled too much, Mr. Maltz. Joe, how you doing? Thanks for having me today. And obviously it was embarrassing to watch the press conference because they're just misleading and lying to the public. I mean, like you said, CBP, the brave men and women, not only do they do border patrol and border security and migrant care, but they keep tremendous statistics on their website. So any American could go read. It's open to the public. And there's no such, like, validity to what he was saying. And then you notice there was no questions about drugs, Joe. What about the 361% increase in fentanyl seizures on the border during the first five months of this fiscal year compared to last year? Right? Wow. It's like, and now, and now, Joe, the problem is, is that these brave Border Patrol agents have to do the migrant care. So what's happening is the migrants and the cartels specifically, who are making millions of dollars a week, are using this as a weakness against our country because they're blitzing the border that's wide open. So they'll send a bunch of migrants they call flooding the zone. They'll send a bunch of migrants to the Border Patrol, and then a mile down the road, a half mile down the road or the border, 
They'll just send in the special interest aliens. They'll send in all the, the, the drugs. They'll then have the weapons and the cash coming southbound. So it's a multi-billion dollar business taking complete advantage of the radical open border policies. So it's a little bit disheartening to hear it. Well, the senators that went down there this week, today and yesterday, they're going to have a lot of interesting information to report back to America because they went to the cages and the freezes where these kids are sleeping. So it's going to get interesting now. Some truth oh, it's now. <laughs> Derek Mullins. Oh, it's not cages. It's not kids in cages, babies in cages. These are migrant facilities for youth. Suddenly, the language has changed from our media. And I even heard one reporter from PBS yesterday say to the president that they're only coming because he is a moral and decent guy, not because in 2019 as a candidate, in 2020 as a candidate. He literally said, quote, surge the border. He basically invited Central America in the way I used to invite all my high school friends in when my parents went out to dinner in New York. Same thing. And the rhetoric has consequences. But what do you think, honestly, of this whole idea of putting migrants up in hotel rooms at an $86 million clip, something like 70000 per migrant is the way the math is working out. Uh, that's unsustainable, right? Because there's only so many hotels and only so many convention centers that are just kind of available for this stuff. So then what happens? Well, first of all, Joe, American citizens should always be first, right? Not last. We yeah. have homeless. We have homeless vets. We have people with no jobs because of covid they need some support. They need assistance. But they're sleeping on the floors. They're sleeping in tent cities. We, we should not be putting these migrants in hotels. They should be going back to their families and their countries and wait in line. Go with the legal process, right? If you look at, for example, one of the things that nobody's talking about, and I'm learning about this, Joe, on a regular basis, talking to Border Patrol, these gotaways, right? All the people that are getting away every day, they estimate like a thousand a day are coming into our country. So the question is, who are they? Where are they coming from? What's their intent? What's their motive for being here? Because they're paying the cartels up to like $10,000 a person to get into the country. So the wow. cartels are smart. They send the, they send the Mexicans and the Guatemalans and Hondurans into the border patrol and then they send these special interest aliens, you know, down the border so they can get them in. And then also what nobody's talking about, which is really upsetting to me, because I talk to the families when their kids are popping these counterfeit pills and they're not waking up. They're dying from the fentanyl coming from the cartels. And this is disgusting that nobody cares. This is not a Republican or a Democratic issue. This is a red, white and blue issue. This is our future generation of kids that are dropping like like you can't believe, Joe. I got a uh, there's a Facebook group, uh, Lost Voices of Fentanyl where they send me photos every day. I'm making photo collages. I can't keep up with it. There's so many dead Americans, these young Americans, that are taking the counterfeit pills. They don't know what they're taking. They're coming from these labs in Mexico, the, and, the, and, the, and the chemicals are coming from China. So we have China using the cartels as proxies to destabilize our country and kill our citizens. And no one's even talking about that. Now, one question was about this massive drug problem that we have. And we're talking about something we've never seen in the history of the country, Joe. This is, you know, the CDC last stats, 83,000 dead Americans through the period, 12-month period, July of 2020. That's 210 a day. It's, it's insane. 
we don't hear much about that at all, do we? I mean, and, and that's the thing. We see all these trillions of dollars, Derek Maltz, being spent on things that do nothing to make your average American's life better. They're just basically gifts to uh, gover- governors and, and mayors in blue states. And we saw it with the one point nine trillion dollar COVID relief bill where only nine percent actually went towards health care. Uh, and then we have an infrastructure bill coming up where Included in infrastructure, apparently, is free college tuition and also racial equality and paid family leave. So you would think that we would take, if we're going to spend money, at least towards this drug problem that we're having and all these overdoses and deaths from opioids, but it's not happening. I wonder this, though, and, 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 and I, tell me if this is too extreme. I'm just, I'm just a regular guy just kind of thinking this out loud in my head. Can you call drug cartels since... Really, they are a threat to national security in terms of what they're bringing into this country. Can we declare them terrorists and and actually go to war? Joe, Joe, here's the deal. Three years ago, we started talking with a bunch of friends. And Sarah Carter and I, from she's Fox News, we went down to testify in Ohio State Court two years ago to designate the cartels as terrorists because they're killing more Americans than any other terrorist organization in the world that I'm aware of. They're putting these weapons of mass destruction in our country because it's poison. It's killing our kids instantly. They're chopping off heads. They're throwing people in acid pits. It's like we've never seen this kind of murder and violence in the history of the country in Mexico. And they're right on our southern border. And they're coming into our country, uh, setting up command and control in our cities all throughout America. And so we should have declared them terrorists when President Trump uh, was getting bad information from his advisors in the last administration. But he wanted to do it. Because we have to go after the supply routes, the chemicals, the money flow. You know, a lot of people in America don't realize this, Joe. You know who took over for the money laundering services business of the cartels? The Chinese. They're picking up millions of dollars all over the streets in America from drug dealers, and they're laundering the money on banking apps in China. They're just moving money from one account to another. They're not putting the cash into businesses in the banks here. They're moving it overseas. So they now have taken on the role of the money laundering services for the cartels. So they're providing all the chemicals. They're providing all the money services. That's why the cartel business is booming. And so we have a really serious national security threat developing. It's not just this humanitarian crisis and this public health crisis. It's a national security crisis. We don't know who's coming into the country. And we have the Chinese who love sitting back destabilizing our country because we're a an economic power that they want to destroy, right? So it's a whole different dynamic that people need to start thinking through because we're going to feel some serious pain. As all these migrants come up to our cities all around America, they're going to go to school. Everything's going to be for free. The health care is going to be for free. And the financial burden on our hardworking citizens who have had a big issue over the last year from COVID, it's like really the perfect storm of problems and we got our president who can't even put a sentence together. I feel bad for the guy, right? But it's like we, we need a leader that's going to get in there and start leading. I mean, you know how insulting it was listening to Vice President Harris laughing when she was asked about going to the border? When I'm sitting here making photo collages together of all these kids that are dying, this is really, really bad. This is the same vice president also, and we're talking to Derek Maltz, as far as when she was asked uh, about ICE, she compared ICE to the KKK. She said that crossing the border illegally, that should be decriminalized. And then 
the president of the United States says, you know, I guess we got to fix this um, circumstance at the border. So, yeah, let's let's tap her to do it, because who better qualified than Kamala yeah. Harris, who, to your point, when asked, oh, when are you going to go to the border? Laughed like, you know, she, she was watching Eddie Murphy Raw. It, 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 it is insulting. But just to go back to what you're saying before, because I want to make sure I understand it. You're saying that the Chinese are using Mexican cartels as proxies and then they're actually bringing in also you know, basically counterfeit poisonous pills containing fentanyl. In other words, this isn't even, this is stuff that could kill people and they don't even know it. Well, let's put it this way. Okay. Let's go back. Iran uses Hezbollah as a proxy to carry out their mission, right? Their radical mission that they have. Well, Mm -hmm. the Chinese are smart. They're sitting back in China. They know the cartels have complete control of the drug situation in America. They've been dominant for years with the drug supply, right? But now when they started making the synthetic drugs over in Wuhan-style labs and sending them to Mexico and the precursor chemicals that are producing all this methamphetamine, they see what's happening in our country. They see all these Americans that are dying at record levels, and they're sitting back and they're making millions and millions of dollars from the drug sales, and they're also killing our citizens. So it's a two-for-one special from a communist country like China. But the reality is, is what's happening now That's never happened in the history of this country is that the cartels are taking these chemicals, producing this fentanyl in labs in Mexico, putting them in pill presses, sending the pills in as oxycodone or Adderall or Xanax or all these other pills. And our kids are taking these pills and they're not waking up. And these are not your typical like needle injecting kids. These are your average kids in neighborhoods around the country. And they're dying. And so it is a chemical war, in my opinion. It's not extreme. It's the fact. Man. If Al-Qaeda, if, listen, Joe, if Al-Qaeda had 100 pounds of chemical weapons sitting in Mexico, and we knew about that, wouldn't we go after that? Wouldn't we be serious about That's that? Great point. Well, what do you, so think about this. 2.2 pounds of fentanyl, that's one kilogram, could kill 500,000 people. Just go talk to doctors. They say two to four milligrams. Yep can kill, right? So Derek, these are it's crazy. weapons, and they're killing, but we're not doing anything about it, and we're not even Absolutely. talking about it. That's, well, that's- we're talking about it, Derek, and that, that's the important thing. Derek Maltz, keep 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 talking about it. I've seen you on Fox. You do a great job, and we really appreciate you joining us today, and this is really an eye-opener and education for me, so we really appreciate it. You have a good weekend, sir, okay? Well, anytime, call me, buddy. Appreciate it. Take care. You got it. All right. More Sean Hannity Show, 800-941. Sean, you want to be a part of the program. Kaylee McEnany coming up. All right, everybody, let's take it home this final hour of the Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-7346, otherwise known as 941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Carol Roth coming up in about, I don't know, 24 seconds or so. And we also have Kaylee McEnany as well, the former White House press secretary. She will be joining us later this hour. So an all-star cast, including the aforementioned Miss Roth, you see her all over the Fox Business Channel or network. Actually, it's a network. I should know that considering I'm a Fox News contributor myself. Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity. Also, a media and politics columnist for The Hill. That I am. Go check out my column today. It says it all basically in the headline, but worth a read. I know all of you kind of just scroll through headlines on social media. You don't really read the columns. Well, make an exception this time, okay? Because it's outstanding. In fact, it's the number one uh, column on the site right now. So I'm very proud about that, considering the traffic that we get. Your title, The Disgrace. That was the Biden press conference. And I break it all down for you. Anyway, Carol, 
I'm not going to leave you hanging anymore. How are you, my friend? I am doing fantastic, Joe Concha. And look at you doing all of this cool stuff with the Hill and filling in for Sean. You're fantastic. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, when you think about it, that's that's not a bad gig. I'm going on Hannity's show tonight on TV, but that will be hosted by uh, Dan Bongino, who will be uh, taking over for Rush Limbaugh from 12 to 3. So that's kind of a cool life he's got going for himself. But I want to talk about you, Carol, because you, of course, are an entrepreneur in the truest sense of the word. And also you have your own podcast as well called The Roth Effects. So tell us what is top of mind right now coming out of the aforementioned press conference uh, from yesterday. Not much talked about in terms of the bait and switch that the Biden administration is doing in terms of who they're going to tax. First, it was going to be 400000 or above you would be taxed if you're an individual. But now that appears to be families, which means that means anybody over making over $200,000 would get taxed. Did I misread that or is this the ultimate bait and switch? Like, explain it in much better terms than I just did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the reality that we all know is they always sell taxes as something that is going to affect the rich. You know, that sounds great. We can all rally behind Eat the Rich and it won't affect us. But the reality is that the very top earners already pay a ton of the taxes. And for the amount that the Democrats want to spend, you could take away all of the wealth of all of the wealthiest people, and it still would only fund the government for a few months. So that's not going to get it done. It's going to trickle down. And the other thing that you have to remember uh, Joe, is that who backed Biden? Wall Street backed Biden. They spent more True. money on Biden's campaign than they did on Donald Trump's campaign. It's kind of a, you know, a head scratcher there. So when you think about what they're going to do to change the tax code, my personal feeling is there's going to be a lot of optics. It's going to sound like the headline rate, the marginal rate that you hear about is going to go up. But there are all these different loopholes there are all these things that the Tax Cut and Jobs Act um, cap the SALT deductions, which are the state and local tax deductions. That's something they could put back in play kind of under the radar so that if you are in the top earners, you might actually not pay any more. You might actually pay less. But, boy, it's going to sound like they're sticking it to you. And then, of course, you know, for everyone else, they move everything around and maneuver it around. And just as always, the middle class ends up bearing the burden. So this, this, oh. is, this is what it is. It's, al it's always the little guy that gets hurt. And is it a really good idea to be raising taxes while we're trying to have an economic recovery? Because at last check, that's never a good idea, Carol. <laughs> um, I would say in general, it's never a good idea to raise taxes. <laughs> I mean, the reality is that the government at all levels, federal, state, and local, already spends over $8 trillion, and this was pre-COVID, so it's like ah. the same amount as the median family income. They do not need another dime. They have a spending problem, not a revenue-collecting problem. We are giving them enough money. And the reality is they're not focused on things that are going to grow the economy, which is getting out of the way, letting people keep more money in their pockets and using it in a productive way. They're focused on concentrating their power and the only way they do that is by taking in more taxes and spending more time figuring out how to divide it up. So it is that scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset, and it's central planning versus free markets. And we should just push back and say, stop, enough's enough. You have enough money. Get some courage. Go fix your spending. 
And we're talking to Carol Roth. She is the host of the Roth Effect podcast. Please do listen to it. Uh, yeah, that's the thing here, right? It seems to be a Trojan horse situation where the COVID relief bill that the Biden administration continually references polls and says, see, 65% of the American people support our COVID relief bill. But I have a feeling that when pollsters are reaching out to Americans and saying, do you support COVID relief and spending more money on defeating this virus? What idiot is going to say, no, you know, I'm kind of against that, right? Uh, it's kind of like calling somebody and saying, we're doing a poll and we want to know, are you against or for cancer? Well, of course you're against cancer, right? Just like you're for <laughs> defeating COVID. So, and the thing is, it's not a COVID relief package because 91% of it, of that $1.9 trillion, went towards things other than healthcare. So it's happening there. And now I hear about this immigration bill that's coming down the pike, Carol. And that's going to be $3 trillion, which really means it's probably going to be $4 trillion. And instead of it fixing our roads and fixing our bridges and improving our transportation system. And most importantly, probably our power grids, considering what happened in Texas recently and modernizing them. Oh no, most of it is going to go towards paying for free college tuition for equity, racial justice. And what was the other one? Family uh, paid family leave act, which at last check, I have zero idea what has to do with immigration or with the infrastructure, but that's what they do. They call these bills. One thing they get public support because people think they know where the money's going. And it turns out it's not really going towards that at all. And of course the media says, Oh, well, you know, we're not really going to report on that because it's a Democrat in the white house. I'm saying a lot here, but I guess my question is when we're going to spend, let's see about 5 trillion. Okay. We'll call it just in this COVID relief package and the infrastructure bill and on top of our usual budget that we spend other things on, who pays for this? I know you're going to say the middle class, but this is money. I think we're having trillions fatigue at this point because people are not understanding that a trillion dollars, just one, used to mean a lot, a lot of money. And now it's just all over the place. I, I guess my question is, all right, here's what I want to know. What is the consequence of all this spending? What's the worst case scenario? Okay, so so the reality is that none of us can afford to pay for this. So what they do right. is they put it on the tab and they say, "We'll pay for it later. We'll just add it to the debt that's outstanding." And they do what's called printing money out of thin air. Um, and the consequence of that is that the more money that you print that hasn't been sort of created productively in society, the less each dollar ends up being worth. And you've seen this in countries from Zimbabwe to Venezuela where they you know, print a bunch of money and, you know, you could have trillions of dollars and, you know, you can't buy anything with it because right. everything costs that much, much money. The problem is nobody is available even to buy our debt. We have China has a trillion dollars of our debt. Japan has a trillion dollars of debt. There are not all these investors out there who want to buy our debt. So what happens? Our Federal Reserve goes in and says, okay, yeah, we'll go buy the debt. They don't have any money. They make it up with an accounting entry. And so this impacts the entire faith of our system, of, of our monetary system. And this is why Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have been going through the roof, is because people understand that the dollar is backed by the faith of the U.S. government, and people don't have a lot of faith in the U.S. government and what they're doing right now. And it's kind of like walking up to a ledge. You know, you can keep, they keep, keep going, well, you know, we haven't gone over it yet. We haven't gone over it yet, so it must, we not, must not be there. The problem is when you take that last step and you go over it, there's no coming back from it. And that is the problem. And most people, it's so much money and, and there's just so much going on. People can't even get their heads wrapped around it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it, They just kind of float out there, those numbers. And as long as your paycheck is still coming in, if you are employed and you have a good job and you're managing your bank account pretty well. Then and you're getting 
$1,400, Joe. I mean, that's the thing is that that $1,400 is, is on your tab for $6,500. You paid $6,500 in the future to get that $1,400 today, and that's what they don't tell you. And so they're going to want to take more and more in taxes. Your dollar is going to end up being worth less. I mean, these are the real consequences, but we don't have enough financial and economic literacy for people to really understand that. Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, I have a younger family member that he's got a good job. He makes 75000 which, you know, in the New York City area, that, that gets you an apartment that you're probably sharing with somebody, you know, uh, near the city type of thing. And, you know, you could go on a vacation or two. It's it's 75000 used to sound like when I got out of college anyway. I'm like, wow, <laughs> right, exactly. incredible. I'm this close to six figures. You know, now it's like barely getting by kind of thing. But it, he's comfortable, right? I mean, he could, but he's getting his food every week and he's got like a decent, like, you know, Honda Civic type of thing. It's it's good enough. And he got a $1,400 check. He, was, he didn't miss one day of work. You know, it was just kind of like free money. And he's been saving money anyway, because when you don't go out, because everything's locked down, you t- your bank account suddenly gets a little fatter than it normally has. So that's the thing. Like, people got this. It was horribly targeted. It should have been much more uh, better targeted. Anyway, I'm making yeah. very obvious statements. Uh, go ahead, Carol. I was, I I was also going to say it, it's kind of the same mentality that people who get a tax refund check think that they got a benefit from the government when really you're giving the government a tax-free loan for the entire year. And so just the fact that people don't understand the dynamic, it's your money. <laughs> right. It's not the- they don't make it. They don't produce anything. They don't. They don't have any money other than just creating it out of accounting entries, which is really again your your money. So th- those are the kinds of things we need to teach people early on in order for anyone to care about this and to really hold their feet to the fire. And we're talking to Carol Roth. The, the Roth Effect is your podcast to listen to. Uh, I, I want to go to a uh, female issue uh, for a moment, Carol. Since uh, you. <laughs> You're coming you, to me? Why is that, Joe? You were once Miss Illinois, from what I heard, uh, but that's from an unnamed source that I can't quite verify. But in other words, you you know, not only know finances to a T, obviously, we've made that obvious in the first 12 minutes of this interview, but uh, so the star of the U.S. women's soccer team was at the White House yesterday, right? Uh, Megan, uh, how do you pronounce her name again? Rapinoe, Rapun- I believe. Yeah, yeah. Rapinoe. Right, yeah. Rapinoe, right? And she, she's an excellent player. Not going to obviously disrespect her there, but she said this, I've been disrespected and dismissed because I am a woman. I've been told that I don't deserve any more or less because I am a woman. Despite all the wins, I'm still paid less than men who do the same job that I do. Now, I used to write for Fox Sports and for NBC Sports, and I pretty sure that I know ratings and revenue when it comes to almost every sport. And the bottom line is that the men's sports simply bring in higher ratings and they bring in more revenue from leagues like Major League Soccer when the Women's Soccer League, you probably barely know about it. The revenues just aren't there. So why? what is the argument behind this where she's actually getting an invitation to the White House and she's saying, I should be paid the same as men because I do the same job? In the end, it really is supply and demand, right? I mean, it, this is insanity. First of all, it's not the same job. I mean, it's, it's like you could just put it down there. Megan, I'm sorry, honey, it's not the same job. It's like saying, I'm a sir, I'm the best server at Red Lobster, and I make X, and the worst server at the high-end steakhouse makes more for me. It must be sexism. No, you work in a different place. You work in a different league, and the economics are different. And this is what happens when you get into Marxism and communism, and you start you're learning these things about the labor your theory of value, which make absolutely no sense. At the end of the day, there are dynamics in the market that drive it, and even though you may be really great, the best in your league, your league just doesn't produce a lot of revenue, and the men's may be the worst in their league, but their league does, 
It's not the same job. And the worst part about this, the part that really kills me, especially as a woman, is that this is a woman who is a role model. She does a great job. She's great at her job, and she could be out there uplifting young girls, and instead she's teaching them to be victims, and it drives me crazy because you do not become successful in life by being a victim, except for the couple of grifters that have made this their uh, life's work and it's just infuriating I, I best i guess the best way to put it would be is she played instead of soccer basketball right then she would demand since you're a chicago girl uh if she played in the in the 90s that she should get paid the same as michael jordan right or even scotty pippen or name any player in the bulls from uh, you know uh uh phil uh, who, who was the uh, little point guard uh, uh what was his name again darn it uh Her. armstrong right bj armstrong oh, oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, right. Armstrong, right. Yeah, and it's you're right. It's not the same. But then, of course, the president of the United States and Joe Biden says uh, there's no job out there uh, that a man does that a woman can't do the same or better at. And look, it's like, look, well, look, unfortunately, listen, if, if Megan yeah. could go play on the men's team, she would, right? Like if they're paying so much on the men's team and she's doing the same job, well, then just go play on that team and just we'll leave them. Yeah, we'll leave but it on this you note. You can't because it's not the same job. The the under fifteen men's team or boys team, I guess, beat the women's national team in a scrimmage. I don't know if I don't know if you read about that. I, so, I, I'm uh, very 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 familiar with that statistic. And again, not to take anything away from the, the accomplishments, but it's different. And the revenue. And here's the thing: it's in your power to go out, get more fans, get more people interested in the league, and create that revenue dynamic where you can reap more of the rewards. So instead of pursuing it from a positive angle and trying to say, hey, if you want to support us, come out, and I'll make more money as a woman. Don't support the guys. Like, fine, say that. But to say I'm a victim is just, the culture is going down the toilet. I knew I'd get you riled up with that story. So what a perfect (laughs) way to start our weekend. Carol, uh, run to uh, Harry Carey's or, or wherever going tonight in, in the greater Chicago area, my favorite city in the world. No offense, New York. Uh, actually, New York's like eighth. What am I saying? San Diego even beats it. But I, 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 I'm not going to go off on a tangent. Carol Roth, the Roth Effect. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. All right. Have a great weekend. All right. You too. Jeff Concha filling in for Sean Hannity. Carol's great, isn't she? I mean, really, that's one of the smartest people I know, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. 800-941-7326. Gave out the wrong number before because I'm an idiot. Please do call. We'll try to get your calls in. Kaylee McEnany coming up as well. Stick around. Welcome back, everybody. Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity. You know me. I'm a Fox News contributor, a friend of the show, as it were. I think I join about once a week now at this point. It's been fun. And I'm also a media columnist for The Hill, which means I critique the media. So when somebody makes a mistake or somebody, well, probably even more than a mistake, uh, doesn't do their job correctly, I'm the first one to go on Fox in front of millions of people to call them out on it. So now I'm going to call out myself because I made a mistake earlier, uh, honest mistake, uh, but certainly need to issue a correction now. Let me be clear about something. I mentioned Dan Bongino before, but Rush Limbaugh's syndicated radio talk show, it's going to go on, all right? It's going to go on with a series of guest hosts, and they're going to air archived episodes, all right? And Premier Networks, okay, they say that it will continue a practice that it began during Rush's absences when he's undergoing cancer treatments, where you have guest hosts introducing listeners to various clips of Rush opining on the issues of the day. No one can replace Rush Limbaugh. That is very clear. And you know what the funny thing is? I I've, uh, actually uh, did a story on this not too long ago. The show, even after Rush's death, the loyal listeners keep coming back. The audience size hasn't changed. I mean, that is the legacy of Rush. So even if you're listening to Rush just in archives, just past episodes, that's how much 
Rush Limbaugh was loved, and he's going to continue to be on the radio in perpetuity for a long, long time. So that's that's great news, and I'm, that's that's you know a happy correction certainly because uh, I got into this business because of Rush Limbaugh, and it's funny everybody else. They were watching ESPN, and I love sports, don't get me wrong, or they'd be listening to your average you know, rock station, whatever, growing up. But when I heard Rush for the first time in the early 90s, uh, when I was working in a warehouse and the guy next to me had it on, and I'm like, oh, who is this guy? And then before you know it, I was hooked. And then before you know it, I wanted to get in the media and talk about politics or talk about whatever was on my mind. And here I am filling in for the great Sean Hannity, and I'm on 625 radio stations across the country. This is cool, but I thank Rush Limbaugh for that, who called me his friend on the air one time, and my phone never blew up so much when that happened. I'm like, my God, did somebody die? Why is my phone just 10, 20 messages? No, Rush Limbaugh mentioned you, says you're a friend. I never mentioned him, but hey, I I mean, I never met him, I should say, but uh, he still at the same time, he would pick up my columns sometimes and uh, just read them and just, wow, Joe made a good point here and that, and that, you know. What's better than that, right? When when you know that uh the great one is 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 doing that in that, that sort of situation. So again, Rush, we miss you, but we don't have to miss you too much because you're going to be back every day uh, on many stations across the country. Anyway, let's bring in Kaylee McEnany, shall we? She is a former White House press secretary and, like me, recently signed with Fox News as a contributor, and she's getting it seems about as much airtime as I am. In other words, she's staying very busy. Kaylee, how are you? Hey, Joe, great to join you and honor to join you on the airwaves. Absolutely. I mean, this this will be fun because, you know, here you have you over that last year when you were the White House press secretary dueling with the press corps and really just not taking anything from anybody. And the president really seemed to appreciate the fact that you fought the same way that he fought in terms of calling BS when BS existed. I remember one time, uh, I think Acosta was yelling something at you and you say, yeah, I don't call on activists. <laughs> That's great stuff. Yeah. Uh, but now you see this uh, this particular press conference yesterday, if you want to call it that. We're going to play some clips first and have you react to it. But uh, it was just incredible, the tone and tenor. It went from hostile to hospitable, uh, seemingly uh, just with the change of one president. And boy, it really exposed the press for what they are. But we're going to play these um, these clips right now, Kelly, and we're going to have you react on the other side. Go ahead. Cut one. And the other thing we're doing, I might add, am I giving you too long an answer? Because if you don't want the detail... No, no, but I mean, I, I don't know how much detail you want about immigration. Maybe I'll stop there and finish. I believe we should go back to a position of the filibuster that existed just when I came to the United States Senate 120 years ago. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to... Anyway. Uh, We're going to get a lot done. It is the most pernicious thing. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. I mean, this is gigantic what they're trying to do. My predecessor. Oh, God, I miss him. It used to be required for the filibuster, and I I had a card on this. I was going to give you the statistics, but you probably know them. uh, That it used to be that... Uh, that from between 1917 and 1971, the filibuster existed. There were a total of 58 motions to break a filibuster. All the things that relate to infrastructure. We have somewhere, I I asked the staff to write it down for me, and they did, not for this, but for a a longer discussion. We have somewhere uh, in terms of infrastructure we have we rank 13th globally in infrastructure wow i mean 
I watched that and I was more interested in the, what the press was going to ask Kelly in terms of the questions and COVID, the number one issue uh, in the country, uh, not one question about that, particularly around reopening schools, not one question around Kamala Harris being assigned to fix the border, tapped by the president to do so, even though she compared ICE to the KKK and said that illegal crossings should be decriminalized. Uh, I, what was remarkable was the lack of follow-ups, uh, and particularly the fact that the president got to filibuster on and on, talking for minutes on end. And I went back and looked. President Trump, during his first solo press conference, 16 times he was interrupted, which is kind of low when it kept getting even worse as his presidency went on. Joe Biden, only four times yesterday. Your critique on that press conference. Yeah, it was remarkable. I mean, Joe, the interruptions you mentioned, when you go back and watch President Trump's press conferences, and I just chose a random one, uh, back in September to go watch. And I mean, he couldn't complete a sentence. And, and I remember I watched uh, this first question that President Trump was asked in the September press conference. And it was, uh, have you ever lied? And, you know, how can the American people or uh, given that you've lied rather. So there was that embedded assumption. How can the American people ever trust you? And that was John Carl from ABC. And the president went to answer and John Carl continued to interrupt him. And the president had to say things like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And kind of debate. That's what it often transpired into with President Trump, a deep a debate. Uh, and, and that doesn't behoove anyone, certainly doesn't behoove the American people. Yesterday, finally, you saw uh, a modicum of respect for the office, which I think is deserved. Uh, but, but at the same time, that respect should not get in the way of asking pointed follow-ups. Uh, and there were many op- missed opportunities for pointed follow-ups. Uh, Kristen Welker did ask a good follow-up, but Yep. Outside of her, uh, pretty much no one else did. And there were, there were very pointed stats that could have been presented to him, especially uh, when he, he had several lies. And, I'm, you know, maybe they were misstatements. I'm, I'm not a fact checker that just says he lied the way that they got did to President Trump. Uh, misstatements, lies, whatever they were, they should have been followed up upon. But with President Trump, they wouldn't have been that gratuitous. Yeah. And we're talking to Kelly McEnany, former White House press secretary, Fox News contributor. The one that I found to be the most egregious and the most insulting, quite frankly, is when Joe Biden said this, quote, the idea that I'm going to say, which I would never do if an unaccompanied child ends up at the border, we're just going to let them starve to death and stay on the other side. No previous administrations did either, except Trump. He literally accused his predecessor of of, of, of murdering children, in essence, uh, having them starve at the border, except for the fact that, no, there's not one documented death by starvation. Yet he got away with that. And to your point, not one member of the press stood up and said, do you have any proof of this, sir? Or when he said, we're sending back the vast majority of families who are coming to the U.S. border, when Axios just reported that just 13 percent of families are being sent back. So you're right. In the Trump era, if you make a mistake, so to speak, then that's called a lie. And it's absolutely intentional. And it's absolutely done to mislead the people. And with Joe Biden, it's, eh, it's just Joe being Joe. This is what he does. He does gaffes. It makes him, it humanizes him. That's what I hear, that it humanizes him a lot. So that's that's really remarkable. So, I mean, what happens from here? I mean, I would have thought that this would have been universally panned, I would, have, I would think anyway. I mean, anytime you have a president that is reading from cliff notes, literally, and not just like a bullet point or two, that I actually kind of don't mind. But you saw, it, these were pages upon pages of answers, and he began to read from them. I would think that the American people watch that or more importantly china and russia watched that and said oh okay this is who we're dealing with now yes exactly and to be clear with president trump uh look we we didn't give him a list of reporters that he should follow yes right. i gave him 
I, I, I gave him a list of who was in the room so he could have, before he went to the podium, an idea of who was in the room. He usually barely looked at it, didn't take it with him for the most part. I certainly didn't write on there number one, number two, number three, as was written down on, on, on the sheet for President Biden. Uh, it's highly abnormal. You know, President Trump called on who he wanted to, and I would often say to him, don't call on this person. They have a lineup of bad questions for you. I can tell by what they're asking the press shop. And oftentimes he would go straight to that person right off the bat because I think right. he relished that opportunity to kind of have that back and forth. And, 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 and also, you know, we didn't give him no cards as to, you know, what to say on any given topic. The notebook that you saw in front of him were his scripted topper remarks. And then he spoke from his heart because he was the leader of the free world, the president of the United States, the guy calling the shots in every single meeting, uh, not giving over a, a, the challenge of the day to Vice President Pence. Yes, he put him in charge of the task force, but that was an information-gathering mission that reported back to the president, and President Trump made the call. Uh, but here with Joe Biden, I wonder if that's the same scenario with Vice President Kamala Harris. I'm certainly not getting that vibe. I think he's abdicating, abdicating rather, responsibility. So it was extraordinary to watch. I've never seen someone read talking points on foreign policy issues, or yeah. for that matter, any other given issue, because President Trump, uh, he was the leader. Uh, he was the man in the room who had the points and didn't have to refer to talking points. And we're talking to Kelly McEnany, former White House press secretary and a Fox News contributor. You got to know the president very well. I mean, I'd always see the pictures and he seemed to genuinely enjoy your company, liked being with you because you seem to be, as I talked about before, on the same plane in terms of, of being a fighter and, and not taking any BS from anybody. So when you got to know him, uh, when it just maybe it's just like a, a briefing, maybe it's just a meeting, maybe you're just on Air Force One and you're, you're just chatting for whatever reason, talking about it. And you, by the way, your, your kid is adorable. I, I, we're, we're friends on Facebook. And my God, I mean, you you got a winner. I, I hope there's more coming since you're Irish. I would assume there is. But we'll talk about that another time. But anyway, <laughs> uh, in terms of the president, uh, there, what, what's something that you kind of learned about him that you didn't know before you took the job that you think would surprise some people about Donald J. Trump? You know, I think I, that's a great question. And everyone, you know, assumes from his time on The Apprentice that he is some, like, the, the picture they make of him is he's some bully. Certainly the press paints him as a misogynist. But what was funny is it was nothing of the sort. In fact, I was surprised because when I came into the job, I knew him, you know, somewhat, but certainly not well. Um, I was on the campaign before, but I didn't know him uh that well. And when I got there, I, I was surprised by the degree that he really looked to me, not just as a mouthpiece or a spokesperson that maybe saw him once a day or spoke to him once a day. Um, I'm not sure what Jen Psaki's relationship is with President Biden, but when she was asked if she had walk-in privileges, she dodged the question. Um, I did with President Trump. I walked in anytime I wanted to. And not only that, he would call upon me and say, what are your thoughts on this and policy decisions and, and would ask my opinion. And it wasn't just me. It was anyone in the administration that he grew to trust, um, you know, no matter who you were, a Secret Service agent or, you know, his mouthpiece, his spokesperson, his press secretary. He just wanted to know what people thought about issues. And I, I really grew to respect that. And he always went with his gut. He always went with, you know, what he down in his heart believed. But he really, really, really listened to other people, be it the Secret Service agent, uh, the mouthpiece or, you know, whomever, a lower level staffer. Uh, he really, really was interested in the opinion of, uh, of us. And after all, we are the American people. And I really grew to admire and respect that.
And we're talking to Kelly McEnany, Fox News contributor. And uh, your daughter's name is Blake, by the way, your kid. What am I saying? I mean, come on. I, it was on that. It was that's, right no, there. That's right. I'm looking at her through the glass, trying to make sure she doesn't scream. I'm standing outside being like, come on <laughs> <in."> <laughs> oh, that's great. Hey, we only got about 45 seconds and you're a pro. So you'll, you'll keep it at 43, I'm sure. Uh, now, the, the Fox News thing, I do the same thing you do where you go on for maybe five, 10 minutes or you get to do the five once in a while or I do outnumbered. So it's a full hour. But there's there's time maybe to do other things. And I understand that you're a mom and I'm a dad to young kids. But are you thinking of maybe, I don't know, documenting your time in the White House? Because I think a lot of people would love to hear more about what your job was like. I am. I I am actually doing just that. I've already sat down starting uh, to write about my time in the White House. It's a piece of history. It's a a moment in time. And I think um, in particular, just um, our our press briefings, the way that we challenge the media in a way I think they needed to be challenged. Uh, the, the way we use the podium, uh, that will be documented in history and a forthcoming memoir. So no announcements yet as to when, where, or how, but yes, I am in the process of doing just that. Oh, wow. Good luck with that. Books are hard. (laughs) They are. They are. I can't wait to read it, and uh, we'll certainly work. I'll help you out with the title, if possible. I'm pretty good at those things. But, hey, Kaylee, we're out of time, unfortunately, so go enjoy happy hour. Uh, I, I think you're down south, so a nice warm day, and uh, hopefully we'll see you up here soon. And congratulations on the Fox gig again. Thanks so much. Great to join you, Joe. All right, take care. Hoya Saxa, I think they say to Georgetown people. My wife is one, so I can say that to Kaylee. Anyway, uh, when we come back, we wrap this puppy up. Joe Concha in for the Sean Hannity Show. It's been fun. It's been fast. Let's bring it home. I think Rush used to say it, the fastest three hours in radio. It, this really felt kind of the same way. And only because we had such great guests, right? Uh, Carol Roth of the Roth Effect. Kelly McEnany, Fox News contributor, former White House press secretary. Derek Maltz. I mean, this guy worked the border for years. That was the best education I received, and it scared the living hell out of me. Uh, so uh, the, the great guests there as well. Who else did we have, Jason? We had so many. It's, it's hard to keep track. What's that? Lisa Booth, Lisa Marie. I hope she's not listening. She's in Florida. Uh, but hey, Lisa, I didn't forget about you. Just my memory's going. When you when you hit my age, when you're in 40s, forget it, it goes. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. <laughs>